I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. In 1947, the United States set out on a mission to stop the Soviet Union from taking over Europe. Stalin had already seized Poland and Hungary and East Germany. He was pushing west. He was about to take over Czechoslovakia. Prague is again the battleground of ideologies. And the pattern of intrigue as familiar as the hammer and sickle is impressed on yet another country. History repeats itself. Where will the stand for freedom be made? President Harry Truman made a pledge. America would fight communist aggression around the world. Before America's Congress, President Truman declares political war on Soviet Russia. It came to be known as the Truman Doctrine. If we falter in our leadership, we may endanger the peace of the world, and we shall surely endanger the welfare of this nation. America has decided that her true frontiers are in Europe. The newly created CIA thought Stalin's next target would be Italy. The fascist dictator Benito Mussolini had ruled the nation from 1922 to 1945, but he had been executed at the end of World War II. The bodies of the ex-dictator, his mistress, and fellow fascists were left lying in the square, and the enraged Italians took the opportunity of kicking them and flinging rubbish on them. Firemen were called in to disperse the mob, who were by now, uh, well, what shall we say, perhaps a trifle overexcited. Now Italy was preparing to hold an election, and communism was on the ballot. Italy was once again a democracy, and at election time, opinions were once again allowed to differ. But for the people of Italy, there were only two real alternatives. Western democracy or communism. There were two main political parties competing in the 1948 election the Christian Democrats and the Popular Democratic Front. The Christian Democrats looked to Washington for political support. The Popular Democratic Front looked to Moscow. As the election approached, it looked as if the communists could win. If that happened, the White House feared it would be Italy's last free election. The nation would become a totalitarian state and Stalin would lay siege to the Vatican. The Italian election thus became part of the struggle between America and the Soviet Union, and the CIA joined the battle. Their mission was to help the Christian Democrats win. It would happen quietly, covertly. The brand new agency's weapon of choice would be money. And so began a CIA tradition using cold, hard cash to rent the loyalties of kings and prime ministers and presidents around the world, and in many cases, up-and-coming politicians who sought power but needed a little help to get it. The talk of Washington today was that King Hussein of Jordan has been taking cash money from the CIA since 1957. 
some years, millions of dollars. Secret CIA payments to other foreign leaders. Jomo Kenyatta of Kenya, Nguyen Van Thieu of South Vietnam, Joseph Mabuto of Zaire, Forbes Burnham of Guyana, and Billy Bronx of West Germany. Fixing the 1948 Italian election was the first American success in using political warfare to score a victory in the Cold War. But success can have unforeseen consequences. Today, we're going to tell you how it all began and what it led to. I'm Tim Weiner, and this is Whirlwind. The CIA needed a lot of cash to pull off the Italian job in 1948. The CIA's man in Rome, James J. Angleton, estimated the price tag at around $10 million. That's $100 million in today's money. Where would the millions come from? The CIA was a few months old. It had no independent budget and no legal authority for covert operations. Enter James Forrestal, President Truman's Secretary of Defense. He approached another member of Truman's cabinet, John W. Snyder, the Secretary of the Treasury. Together, they set up a money laundering scheme. Forrestal convinced Snyder to tap into a Treasury Department fund earmarked for the reconstruction of post-war Europe. The Treasury Department delivered millions into the bank accounts of wealthy American citizens, many of them Italian-Americans. In turn, they sent the money to newly formed political fronts, secretly created by the CIA. Each of the donors was instructed to place a special numerical code on their income tax forms alongside their charitable donation. The IRS understood what that code stood for. It allowed people to write the donations off on their taxes, and the CIA would get the money it needed. So now, the CIA had the grease. But it was still building a political machine on the fly. And the machine had many moving parts. The Pope, the politicians, the priests, the mafia. To understand how they all fit together, and how the machine ran, we talked to the Italian journalists and authors Maurizio Molinari and Paolo Mastrolili. Their book is called Italy in the Eyes of the CIA. Paolo, how strong is the Communist Party in Italy in 1947? What kind of support does it get from Stalin? What kind of support does it have among the Italian people? The Communist Party uh, was the second largest in uh, all Europe. And it was uh, strong in terms of the uh, membership. Many Italians were a part of the Communist Party. And in fact, they obtained basically 30% of the vote for the uh, following uh, 50 years. They were strong also in military terms because they were part of the resistance. And after the end of the war, they were still armed and they still had a a kind of security apparatus that can operate as an army. And of course, the uh, connection with the Soviet Union was a very organic one. Uh, They, and this has been 
true for the uh, following uh, 50 years. The communists were going to uh, Russia uh, to get uh, educated, to receive uh, instruction, to receive aid, both uh, economic and uh, possibly in uh, uh, military terms. So it was a very strong presence on a different uh, front and uh, able also to uh, govern or to take control of the country if they had the chance to. If I may add something on that, this was a situation was created by the war because the partisans, they in reality became the backbone of the Communist Party. So they were organizing territorial groups, they have commanders, they have central of command, they have territorial organizations, they had weapons. So the Communist Party in 48 was still probably the best uh, organized uh, territorial force existing in Italy. I mean, if you were watching the situation from Washington, you practically, you, were almost, you may have been almost sure that they were going to win the election simply because the other front, the pro-Western front, didn't have any kind of this organization. Mauricio, the CIA had no legal authority to conduct covert operations. So how did they get around that in trying to help the pro-Western party in Italy defeat the communists in 1948? Supporting all the forces on the ground that were anti-communists. There were many parties. So was possible to create a coalition of forces around the church that was the stronghold of their anti-communist resistance. And what does the CIA do to help create that coalition? We have to understand that this is 1948. Uh, Italy is a country that uh, lost the war, has been completely destroyed. So the needs to uh, run this campaign were uh, really uh, basic. It's difficult to understand it uh, now, but they were uh, very uh, basic. And so, of course, it was a matter of money, but in some cases it was really a matter of uh, practical, simple tools to uh, be able to do the uh, propaganda necessary to win the election. And what are those tools? Paper, ink... Campaign posters, movies, radio broadcasts, all of the above? Exactly. In fact, there were a radio stations that were uh, created also outside Italy to be able to communicate with the uh, Italian. Uh, it's really a very difficult situation and uh, difficult to understand for us, but this is the way the campaign was uh, conducted back then. So who gets the money and how do they spend it? The money reached the Christian Democrats as a party, and several Catholic associations. And they spend it to organize the propaganda on the ground. Some of the CIA's money went to the Vatican Bank. And with the imprimatur of the Pope, that money went to the cause of the Christian Democrats. Rome and enormous crowds fell St. Peter's Square to hear the Pope's Easter message calling for renewed faith at a moment when the world stands at the crossroads. A fateful time indeed for those who listen on the eve of elections which will determine the future of the Italian people. We'll be back with more from Paolo and Mauricio, but first, an interview with Professor Victoria Di Grazia. She's an expert on Mussolini's fascist regime and its aftermath. That's after the break. At 
Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing, so you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. Professor Victoria de Grazia has studied the politics of Italy for decades. She said that when the CIA set out to command and control the politics of Italy, it was a crusade, a crusade in the name of America for Christendom and Western civilization against the forces of the godless communist infidels in Moscow. So, there are two main parties in Italy at the time of the 1948 election. The Christian Democrats, aligned with the conservatives and ex-fascists, and the communists, aligned with the socialists. How strong was the Italian Communist Party? The communists, in many ways, were the best armed. They were also used to the idea of working underground. So, that organization and this tactical advantage of having led the resistance put them in a very strong position. Christian democracy had many other strengths of a different sort. It was much more in touch with the Allied army. It had all kinds of contacts with the Vatican. So what we're setting up here is different strengths between the leading parties, the communists and the uh, Christian Democrats. Moscow wasn't financing the communists in Italy directly, but the Soviet military's implicit backing gave them a kind of moral strength. As Victoria de Grazia told me, Italians remembered the Battle of Stalingrad, a turning point of World War II in which the Soviets had triumphed over the Nazis and the Italian fascists, inflicting over 100,000 casualties on Mussolini's soldiers. It was the first major victory against a fascist army since 1937 in the Spanish Civil War. By their amazing defense here, the Russians have struck three heavy blows. Once more, the world is amazed at the huge reserves of strength which the Soviet Union has been able to call upon. So, the fame of Stalingrad, it was the Soviets. They did it alone. They were the ones that first counterattacked against the Nazis. They were the ones that broke the Germans on the Russian front. And that myth was incredibly validating, much more than any American or British myth. They, it was thought, came in late. You know, they were all conquerors. They occupied Italy. They were liberators, but they were viewed also as an occupying army and took two more years for the war to end. So that extraordinary legitimacy of the anti-fascist struggle, that was absolutely key to Moscow's, if you want, assistance. So what kinds of communist propaganda are in play in the run-up to the 1948 election? 
communist propaganda is mainly in writing. So very old-fashioned. It is in the newspapers. It's in certain kinds of pamphlets. It's in distribution of readings from Lenin on the agrarian question. (laughs) There's also radio. It was the kind of propaganda that was reasoning about, you know, we will rebuild, we will have democracy, Europe will continue to fight the imperialists, which is the only way to get rid of fascism once and for all. And without oversimplifying, the American occupying forces, the American liberation forces in Italy are not averse to working with members of the Sicilian Mafia. I've I've read that Vito Genovese of of the Genovese crime family worked with the American side in the years after uh, the war. That's never surprised me particularly. The occupying army will, as we know from Afghanistan, from Iraq, from wherever, they work with whatever authorities they can use. And the Mafia, with its transatlantic connections, the United States to Italy, presented itself as an opportunity. These figures are intermediaries. Mafia meant intermediary, the guy in the know, the person who knew when the ships were coming in, who the dockers to unload them, knows how to organize the garbage, the, the water supplies, and so on. So it strikes me always as very logical for the Americans to abuse the mafia. This is one of the forces present uh, in Italian society. And local knowledge is so key for an occupying army. And what is the political role of the Pope? And what are his political leanings? Well, this is Pius XII, who's become the Pope in 1939 as the Pope who would know how to deal with Hitler and with Mussolini. Pius XII understands that there's a strong correlation between his vision of a free church, if you want, in a free state, uh, and uh, American ideology. That meant that by the end of the war, Pius is very welcoming to collaborate with the United States. And the Vatican has developed enormous power by then, insofar as it's got very modern communication systems, gorgeous newspaper, radio. The Pope knew how to use church organizations for propaganda purposes, and he was really mobilized through the extraordinary apparatus of Vatican bureaucracy to fight, fight, fight. So it, it's a crusade. Full-fledged crusade with the Soviets depicted as ghouls, uh, monsters waiting to rape women, to eat children, uh, to steal babies, willing through devilish devices to penetrate Italy and overwhelm the faithful. We should point out the liturgical uh, roots of the word propaganda. The original is propaganda, and it's, you know, for the faith. And goodness knows the church was the original propagandist, you want, on behalf of the faith. 
So we shouldn't be surprised if the church is eminently capable of missionary work of propaganda. So it was as if there were three kinds of propaganda going on in Italy. There was American propaganda, and the Americans used that term propaganda during World War II. And then after the war, it's only, they say, the Soviets who use propaganda. The church proselytizes. So the word propaganda is, ends up being associated with the communists. Uh, you know, the Americans you know, use public information, if you want, or uh, you know, other benign terms. We now use cultural diplomacy, soft power, that kind of terminology. And the the church would never say it's using propaganda, but instructing the faithful how to behave correctly in the world according to God's will. William Colby, who was the CIA station chief in Rome in the early 50s, and later the director of Central Intelligence, wrote later in life, that the newly formed CIA in 1947 saw itself as Knights Templar riding out to defend and protect Western civilization and Christendom. Well, it's interesting that the CIA picked up on this Christian crusader outlook. It was widespread amongst people around the Vatican. It was very strong coming out of Franco's Spain, and focus was the still unresolved problem of the Soviet Union, which now was looming. So one can see how the CIA would jump on that. What is Catholic Action, and how does it work? It's an adult organization organized locally. They're a very strong force. They're like civil society. They're really Italian civil society, but there's also extensions of the Catholic Church. So they're very strong in the more developed areas of Italy, the North. So they're very important to deciding whether a region votes Christian Democrat or not. You know, activist people, they're the people that organize the outings. They would organize information meetings, they would have access to uh, film, uh, to posters, uh, and because they're so capillary, they're, they're, they're very important social organizations. And the Christian Democrat, therefore, have strong capacity for local action, and that's very important after fashion. The Vatican was taking more than a spiritual interest in Italy's problems. 300,000 Romans listened as the Pope addressed members of the Italian Men's Catholic Action Club. Pius, uncompromisingly anti-communist, was keeping a firm hand on the pulse of temporal affairs. Catholic influence might see that the country stayed this side of the Iron Curtain. The CIA's campaign cash had helped to cement a powerful political coalition with the Christian Democrats, the Church, and a little help from La Cosa Nostra. But the outcome of the election was no sure thing. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Paolo Mastrolili and Maurizio Molinari, the authors of Italy in the Eyes of the CIA.
Poehler here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Less than two months before the election, communists seized power in yet another European country. Czechoslovakia, for almost 30 years regarded as the bastion of democracy, fell to the sapping of its communist fifth column. Even the politically unwary noted that communism made its gains in those lands where the Red Army stands upon the border. The Soviet-backed coup raised the stakes for the vote in Italy. The weeks before the election were frantic. CIA men in Rome slipped suitcases filled with cash to Christian Democrats and Catholic priests. Italian-Americans like Frank Sinatra and Joe DiMaggio recorded radio messages to the people of Italy. And on election day, the turnout was tremendous. Even the very sick record their votes in the Italian elections. So great are the issues involved that 90% of the electorate goes to the ballot box. Within an hour of sunrise, long queues are gathered at the polling stations. For a brief moment, the humblest Italian holds the center of the world stage as he makes his choice. Pietro Neni... So, who actually won the election? The elections were won by the Christian Democrats. This was a, a huge event in Italian history. Premier de Gasperi speaks to the press after the election victory that gave the Christian Democrats an absolute majority. Looking tired, he talks of his plans for solving his country's vast unemployment problem. Italy is safe for democracy, but martial aid alone will not bring about her recovery. Her rebirth as a nation must begin from within. And by how big a margin did they win? Very narrow. They weren't sure about the result until the very end, because it was really on the brink. It was really neck to neck. The Christian Democrats won uh, because the majority of the people in Italy decided that that was uh, the best uh, option for Italy to stay in the Western alliance. I think that uh, the voters in Italy were very aware of what was going on, what was at stake during that election. And uh, there was a decision by the uh, Italian people that actually has, has been confirmed also by uh, the uh, following uh, election that uh, Italy was better served in terms of her interest in staying in the Western alliance. Is it possible to say today whether the CIA's support made a difference? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, they made a difference. In terms of propaganda organization, ideas, how to fight, what message to put the more strength on it, absolutely. If you just try to imagine in which situation many Catholic leaders were at that time, they, they felt lonely. They were, I mean, there wasn't the same organization that you had uh, on the Communist Front. It was a coalition of the willings, I mean, on, on, on the Western part. So the Americans, I believe they, they did a great job in organizing them, in transforming this coalition of the willing in a political party. As you found out in your research, uh, the CIA's support for the Christian Democrats didn't end in 1948. Yes, because first of all, there was a question mark about the reaction 
of the Communist Party after the defeat, how they were going to, 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 to react. But the, the Soviet accepted the situation, but accepted the situation from a point of strength, because in reality, the Communist Party came out not weakened very much by the defeat, it was still a, poli- a very effective political force. So the result of this was the decision by the Americans to keep supporting the church and the Christian Democrat uh, more and more. They had to. And this feeling, the need to support a crucial but very weak ally for, for years. Decades. Yes, decades, correct. You know, Tim, the point here is that Italy stayed as a headache for U.S. administrations all along the Cold War. Uh, U.S. did its best to make the Christian Democrat to win in '48, but that was the beginning of Operation Italy, not the end. And the reason was the Christian Democrats were not reliable allies because they were deeply divided among themselves, because they were not organized, because in reality they didn't love fully the Western values, because they were first and mostly Catholics, and because among themselves there were many people that in reality were somehow linked to the previous fascist regime. So they were crucial allies in the Cold War, They were very effective in keeping Italy on the right side, but they were not reliable. So if we pay attention along the decades, the the, the different moves of different U.S. administration was to find all the time a way to keep Italy on the right side. Their success in Italy emboldened the CIA. They could control the fate of nations. They could change the course of history. The Italian job became a template for CIA operations for many years. And if they couldn't help their political allies win elections, if someone they didn't like took power, they could always try another way. They could reverse the results of an election. They could change a regime. They could create the conditions for a coup. They did it in Iran in 1953. They did it in Guatemala in 1954. For the first time in 10 years, the people of Guatemala are breathing the sweet air of liberty. Only days after the resignation of Red President Jacobo Arbenz, rebel leader Castillo Armas sweeps into town. They also tried and failed many times. Indonesia in 1958. The Bay of Pigs in Cuba in 1961. Cuban revolutionary troops such as these have invaded Castro's leftist island fortress, reportedly rallied by a mysterious coded radio message. Alert! Alert! Look well at the rainbow. The fish will be running very soon. They tried and failed in Chile in 1970. And then they tried again in 1973. This is the Moneda destroyed. Reporters were shown through it. The place where the Allende brand of Marxism had flourished and had been vanquished. And what did the KGB do about all this? It had puppet governments under its control throughout Eastern Europe. It helped to crush 
popular uprisings in Hungary in 1956 and in Czechoslovakia in 1968. Once again, the Soviet Union, demonstrating a colossal contempt for the opinion of mankind, has resorted to brute force to keep a satellite nation under control. The Czech news agency said tonight that Alexander Dubček, head of the Communist Party in Czechoslovakia, and other leaders of the reform movement have been taken to an unknown place by Soviet forces. Dubček reportedly was removed in an armored car. What it couldn't do in those years was to undermine the United States at home. But beginning in the 1960s, under the command of the KGB chief Yuri Andropov, the Soviets developed a powerful new weapon to subvert the United States. You might say they perfected it. That weapon was disinformation. A Soviet military publication claims the virus that causes AIDS leaked from a U.S. Army laboratory conducting experiments in biological warfare. Did you ever hear that the CIA killed President Kennedy? Or that the FBI assassinated Martin Luther King? Or that the U.S. Army created the AIDS virus at a germ warfare lab in Maryland? If you did, you were on the receiving end of a KGB disinformation operation. And it wasn't until the 1980s that the United States figured out what was going on and decided to fight back. That fight, and what it means for us today, is our next story on Whirlwind. Whirlwind is presented by Cadence 13, Jigsaw Productions, and Prologue Projects. The show is written by me, Tim Weiner, and produced by Noel Mosband, Andrew Parsons, and Leon Nafok, with editorial support from Madison White. The story is based on my book, The Folly and the Glory, America, Russia, and Political Warfare. Whirlwind is executive produced by Chris Corcoran, Alex Gibney, Stephen Fisher, Stacey Offman, Richard Perello, Joey Mara, and John Schmidt. I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.